Father, we thank you this morning, God, that we can come before you, and we thank you that as the Lamb of God, you took our place. God, you bore all of our sins. You took our shame on your shoulder, and God, this morning, we are thankful for what you've done for us. We thank you that you made us blameless and holy, that we could come and stand before your presence this morning. God, we just pray as we hear your words spoken to us, God, that you would open our ears. God, speak to us this morning. God, show us where we need to tweak things in our own life. God, just do what you want to do in us. God, we love you. We give this morning to you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 19. 1 Samuel chapter 19. Say with me. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, the people of God are all we need, and we need each desperately. Very good. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, the people of God are all we need, and we need each desperately. So 1 Samuel chapter 19. So we see in the life of David, great victory. We see in the life of David, friendships. We see in the life of God that, that God has a purpose for him. And we see that David is in trouble. He's in trouble with Saul. Saul is yet to be humbled. Saul will not listen to anyone. Saul is misguided and out of control. And there David is. David has been chosen by God to, to uh, be the next king. And just by God's choice, by God's desire for David, that purpose of God puts David in a horrible, horrible spot. However, you see the Lord protecting him. Now, one thing that we're looking at here is in these studies in the Old Testament, we understand there's one way to God, but we're understanding there are many ways of God. God works in all kinds of ways to fulfill His purpose for us. And so it's important that we learn what some of those ways are, because the ways that God worked then are the ways that God works now. Okay, He spoke to us differently then than He does now. Today it's through His Son. Yet His ways are definitely His ways today. And we can see the Lord's protection of David. We see that He used friends. We see that He used awareness. Awarenesses. Just knowing. Common sense. We understand that He uses family. And then he uses the unexplainables, the things that take place in circumstances in this world that there's just not an explanation for. And so we just call it God's unexplainables. And so here in the, with friends, just knowing family unexplainables, God protects David. So let's look at the first one. The Lord protected David with his close friend, Jonathan. Chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 19, verse 1. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. Kind of 
Put yourself in the Godfather's office. That David's got to go. You know, Leroy, come on over here. Or Vinchili, come on over here. You'll be the one. So Saul puts out a hit on David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, stepped in. He literally stepped between his father Saul, the king, and David. And he said, he told him what his father was planning. This is what he said, tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me, and I'll talk to him about you, then I'll tell you everything I can find out. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David. He's never done anything to harm you. He has always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You are certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason for it at all. Jonathan's taken a great risk. But that's a risk that Jonathan, of course, is willing to take. He stands between Saul, his dad, and David. So verse 6 says, So Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. Afterward, Jonathan called David and told him what had happened. Then he brought David to Saul, and David served in the court as before. Wow. Jonathan protected David. This scripture tells us that one of the ways that God protects us is through friends. He positioned David to have a friend that was perfectly positioned to protect him. The, the, the son. The son of the king. The son with a heart for David. A son that has the king's ear and could hear what he had to say. Listen to your God-positioned friends. Listen to them. Listen to those people that you have witnessed God using in your life. Listen to what they have to say. Listen to their point of view. Listen to what they understand. Listen to what they know, because that's one way that God will protect you. If your close friends say, you might not ought to go out with that guy, listen to that. If your close friend says, I don't think you ought to work for that fellow. I don't think you're cut out for that. Listen to them. They may be protecting you. If your close friends come and said, you know, I don't think you ought to quit your job. Listen to them. You may be making a decision that's not best for you. You may be making a decision that's based on emotion. You may be making a decision that you haven't really been able to, to think everything through. And God positions in your life friends that know, 
that know you well, that can see the situation and have an objectivity about it. Listen to them. If your close friends say they just don't see you in a particular role, you need to listen to them. Take those God-appointed friends' advice seriously. It's a wise thing to receive the counsel of many. And here we have David in a place where he is listening to his friend, his well-positioned friend, Jonathan. So that's the first lesson we have here. Now looking down in uh, verse 8, the Scripture says that after things settle down, war breaks out again, and David led his troops against the Philistines. He attacked them with such fury that they all ran away. So once again, David is successful out there on the battlefield. Returns back home successful. You remember, ladies with the tambourines. Remember that? Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. So that's going on. People are being more drawn to David than they are to Saul. And, and that's very, very difficult on Saul. Now look in verse 9 and 10. But one day when Saul was sitting at home with spear in hand. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's funny. He's sitting down on his front porch with his shotgun. That's what he's doing. He's sitting at home with spear in hand. Now, David had to be on pins and needles. David had to be alert. David had to have his eye open on Saul, right? And so his assignment after the battle is to play the harp, right? That soothes Saul, and he's looking across the little courtyard there, and what does he see? I can just see Saul sitting in his chair with a spear, looking for someone to chunk it at. He has a history of throwing the spear. He's already tried to pin David. He's missed him. And so there is obviously an awareness that is, that is taking place here. But one day when Saul was sitting at home with spear in hand, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again. As David played his harp, Saul hurled his spear at David, but David dodged out of the way. The Lord protected David through David's ability to duck. Now, the English Standard Version, which is a more sophisticated version, says that David eluded the spear. He eluded Saul. Now, I think this is quite interesting. You're playing the harp. You look across the way, and Saul, who's already tried to kill you, he's already put out a hit on you, He's sitting over there with a spear in his hand. That says to you, you need to watch out. It says to you, keep your eye on him. It's better to miss a note here playing the harp and, and not be awake when he chunks that spear at you. You need to be ready to duck to elude the spear. He, he throws the spear at David. David dodges out of the way. 
And leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. So the Lord protected David through David's ability to duck. He gave him awareness. Now, obviously, it's good walking around sense. He would not have any walking around sense, David wouldn't, if he wasn't aware that this was a bad situation to be in. He's alert to the situation. On our application for that, God makes things clear to us that we need to be aware of. God speaks to you. God has said to you, you need to watch out for that guy. You need to watch out for this situation. It may be like this. That's, an, that's a business arrangement that you need to be careful of. That's a hard deal there. Watch out for that. He prepares us beforehand knowing what we're about to go through to protect us. And this just initiate, just, just having that, um, that understanding. We just know. We just have, we just have an awareness that we need to be careful, that we need to go slowly, that we may need to back up a little bit. It's really important when we're following the Lord that we not bust down doors and we wait for God to open those doors for us because Him closing a door is His way of protecting us and protecting us means that He's going to fulfill His purpose in us. Just knowing, just having an understanding is something that God provides for us. The third thing that we see here is the Lord protected David through his family. Verse 11, Then Saul sent troops to watch David's house. They were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. But Michal, David's wife, warned him, If you don't escape tonight, you'll be dead by morning. So she helped him climb out through a window and he fled and escaped. Then she took an idol and put it in his bed, covered it with blankets, and put a cushion of goat's hair at its head. When the troops came to arrest David, she told them he was sick and couldn't get out of bed. But Saul sent the troops back to get David. He ordered, bring him to me in his bed so I can kill him. But when they came to carry David out, they discovered that it was only an idol in the bed with a cushion of goat's hair at its head. Why have you betrayed me like this and let my enemy escape? Saul demanded of Michal. I had to, Michal replied. He threatened to kill me if I didn't help him. Well, God protected David through his family. And by the way, God protected David with a lie. Mikhail lies. They lied about David, didn't they? He wasn't in there. They tricked him. They put the idol in the bed and put some, some, some hair on there on the idol's head so it appears that it's David, that he's, he's sick, he can't get out of bed, but that wasn't true. We also see Mikhail lied to her dad and said, 
Now, you got to understand that if I had told you the truth, if I had told you he, he threatened me, my life was in danger, Dad. If I had told you the truth, I'd, he'd have hurt me. That wasn't true either. Isn't that amazing here that you see that, that God protected David through his family and through a lie. So when is it okay to lie? When is it okay to lie? Well, Michal lied to protect David. Protecting David was protecting God's purpose. Corey Tenboom, who was a young girl in World War II, her family protected Jews in their home. The German soldiers would come to the home and, and, and Corey Tenboom and her family would hide the Jews in the walls to protect them. They would come to the house and they would say, do you have any Jews here? And they would say, no, we have no Jews here. They would lie. They would lie. We do not have any Jews here. So we recognize that God honored this lie because it protected a greater evil. A greater evil. It's, it's one of those conundrums sometimes in in life. But here God honored a lie because it protected his purpose. And so a lie is beneficial when a greater evil is at hand. But the truth of the matter is those are obviously extremely rare. And most likely we haven't been called on to lie to protect someone against a greater evil. However, that's what you got going on here. But the key thing beyond that for us to recognize here is the Lord protected David through his family. How does that apply to us today? Well, your family have been praying for you. I, I would be willing to, to say that your family probably prays for you more than anyone else does. You need to listen to your family. Men, you need to listen to your wife. You need to be listening to her when, when she says things to you that, that perhaps you're not aware of. Your wife has the, the ability as she's praying for you, as she's caring for you, as she knows you, she knows your blind spots because y'all been at those blind spots together before. And she knows what they are. You need to be listening to her, fellas, when she reveals to you a blind spot that you have about some situations. And the other way goes, too, of course, ladies. You need to be listening to your husband. Your husband also, he knows your blind spots. He knows what you're unable to see. And so the Lord protects us through our family. So three ways so far. We see the Lord protects us through a friend. The Lord protects us through our common sense or an awareness. And the Lord protects us through our family. Now we see the Lord protecting David through the unexplainable. The unexplainable. Verse 18. So David escaped. So he escaped from the troops. And he went to Ramah, which is just north of Jerusalem, to see Samuel. That's where Samuel is hanging out. And he told him all that Saul had done uh, to him. Then Samuel took David with him to live at Naoth. When the report reached Saul that David was at Naoth in Ramah, he sent troops to capture him. 
But when they arrived and saw Samuel leading a group of prophets who were prophesying, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men, and they also began to prophesy. When Saul heard what had happened, he sent other troops, but they too prophesied. The same thing happened a third time. Finally, Saul himself went to Ramah and arrived at the great well in Succoth, where are Samuel and David? He demanded. They are at Naoth in Ramah, someone told him. But on the way to Naoth in Ramah, the Spirit of God came even upon Saul. And he too began to prophesy all the way to Naoth. He tore off his clothes and lay naked on the ground all day and night, prophesying in the presence of Samuel. The people who were watching exclaimed, what? You know what? They can't imagine what they're seeing. Is even Saul a prophet? And unexplainable. The, prophet, the, the prophecy going on here, not prophecy that he was telling the future, but just praise of God. Very much like when Jesus said, look, if they don't praise me, the rocks will. And rocks are literally praising God. So he sends his troops, his troops to go kill David. And so here he is at Ramah, and they're going to go kill him. And the first group, they begin to prophesy. The second group, they begin to prophesy. The third group, they begin to prophesy. Explain that, right? How do you explain that movement of God in that situation? You can't. It just happened. They're out, they're, they're out of control with this. It's in control with them. They're in they're, they're, they're not capable at this time of killing David because they're overwhelmed by God's Spirit and all they can do is praise God. And here you have the king that takes off all his clothes and lays naked all day and all night and prophesies in the presence of Samuel. That's quite a deal there, isn't it? Unexplainables happen. Unexplainables. David saw a friend step in the way. David had the ability to dodge. David saw his wife have the ability to lie her way and his way out of danger. David is seeing time and time again the Lord's protective power. And now if there's no question that God is protecting David, you have this experience. An unexplainable thing just takes place. God just does something that no one can really give an explanation to, and it just protects David. God still does that today. You know, we don't know all the things God has done to protect us. We don't know all the things God's done. None of us can ever know all the things that God has done to protect us because we don't really, we're not able to really count things that don't happen, right? We can't keep score of things that don't take place. 
It's kind of like this. You can't really prove that not texting while you're driving saves lives. You can't really prove that. Now, you can prove that texting while you drive takes lives, causes wrecks, is a bad deal, so don't text and drive. You know it happens, but you can't prove that it doesn't happen when people don't text and drive, right? Because we don't know what didn't happen. But we, can, but we know because it happens when people text and drive, we know that it's a good idea not to text and drive. It does save lives, right? But you can't prove it if someone puts their thumb down on that situation. We can't prove all the times God protects us. However, we do know that God protects us. We do know that. So be aware of the protection tools that God places before us to keep us from harm, to keep us on the path of fulfilling His purpose. Now, it's really important that we all have an understanding of what God wants of us, and we need to be obedient and walking down that road because obviously that's one of the reasons why God is so protective of David because David is fulfilling God's purpose. But God is always at work, and we have no idea all the things God does to protect us. Many, many years ago, many, many years ago, I think that, that I experienced an unexplainable. I, as, I, as I think about this situation with David, and I, and I just say, Lord, remind me, show me, help me to see, I, I, I think there's been many, many things that have happened in my life that I just believe God protected me from. Unexplainable things just take place. I believe that although I might be aware of a few things that I can give, uh, I can point to as, as a hand of the Lord at work, I believe that there's no telling how many times God protected me in my life. And I think that's same true as you, same for you. But this event happened many years ago. We were having some strife in our fellowship. There were some difficulties going on, and back then we had a business meeting every uh, once a month on Sunday night after church. And uh, things weren't going so well at that particular time because some decisions that were made, some decisions that I made, of course, and, and, and just things not going well. And, and, and this, this man walked up to me before the service. He said, man, I, I just need to make you aware that uh, tonight we're going to start proceedings to vacate the pulpit. And, and that just meant that we're going to start proceedings tonight to fire you. I said, all right. And so... Uh, uh, all right, there you go. We'll move forward here. And, and my, my job was to moderate the business meetings. And so that's what I do. To moderate a business meeting, you lead the business meeting, but you have no say really unless it's given to you. And you just moderate the thing. So I moderate the thing, and we go through all the different things, and it's, it's without any kind of uneventful. Just nothing really big happens. And, and as I'm going through there, I'm thinking about it. He's waiting for the new business. And it's going to happen to new business and new business comes around and, and I say, you know, business is over and any new business and I wait and I fully expected it to take place. And, and what would have taken place was he would have got up, made the motion and had a second 
and it, it had been tabled until the next meeting, and if they would have got three-fourths of the vote, then I was let go. And so, all right, so we'll have, I have a month to, to get ready to go and pack my bags and see what all we can find out, because I really believe they would get the vote at that particular time. I, I, I thought there's, there's no question. They'll, if they have an opportunity to vote me out, they'll do it right here. So new business comes around, and, and I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting, and any new business? Nothing's brought up, and I noticed there were a few eyes looking at him. You know, we were in the gym then, and they were looking over there at him, and, and I waited, and I thought, well, dude, if you're going to do it, here's your shot. Let's get her done. And he kind of had his head down. And so I said, no new business? All right, let's adjourn. So uh, Doug Bearden moved that we adjourn. He prayed, and now we went. And so um, things over, and people are kind of looking at him, and they look at them, and uh, I walked over, and I said, so did you change your mind? He goes, no, I didn't change my mind. I just couldn't find the words to say. Hmm. You knew the words to say, I thought. You know the, how this works. I bet you practice it over and over. You couldn't find the word to say? He said, no, I just couldn't find the word to say. Okay. All right. I think that was a clear, unexplainable event that happened that for God's reason that I can't give you an explanation for, even today, God did. God did, because the only way it could have not been stopped, in my opinion, for me to be let go here and be somewhere else these days is for them to vote that day. I believe it would happen. Maybe not have, but I just believe it would have happened. But it didn't. It didn't happen. It was unexplainable. And the only words he had was, I couldn't find the words. I couldn't find the words. I just, I just couldn't find the words. I couldn't stand up and give the words. I just couldn't do it. I wanted to do it. I had every intention to do it. I just couldn't do it. God still works protecting His anointed for His purpose. About two or three weeks ago, we listened to the testimony of the Arrington family. And, and they're missionaries in Vancouver. And they're the people that uh, we helped buy the, the copy uh, machine for this past Christmas and we, we sent some money to help them start the church. And Vancouver is a very spiritually dry place. Hard to reach people for Christ in Vancouver. And he says it's an amazing thing that you cross from the state of Washington into Vancouver and it's like the spigots just turn off, which is an amazing thing because I would think that we would think that in the Northwest that the people that live in Washington are not as open to the gospel as we think people should be, so to speak. You know what I mean? So that's an amazing thing, that it's that hard to share Christ in Vancouver. Uh, he was a youth minister in Holiday, Texas, over by Wichita Falls. He and his wife felt called to go and help start these churches in Vancouver and be part of the work there. And uh, so they take care of all their things, get their visa in place, uh, get some funding in place. He said that to be a missionary in Canada, you can't, you can't have a job. And so your funding has got to come from you know, the states to help you along the way. So they pack all their belongings. They got a couple kids then with them, and they head off to the northwest. 
And up north of Seattle, they're going to go through the, the uh, across the border control there into Canada and make their way. They got all the paperwork in line. It's all, you know, all the uh, T's are crossed, I's are dotted, all's ready to go. Hand the paperwork at the border, and the guy looks at it and says, You can't come in. You just can't come in. He said, What do you mean we can't come in? We've got this visa, we got this, whatever you needed. He said, No, no, no. Uh, you, you're not able, going to be able to come in or visa application, I think it was. And he said they literally put him in a, in a padded cell, or, or a cell, not padded cell, but a cell to wait. And he couldn't come in, and, and they're let out, and he says, now you've got you've to turn, go out, turn around your truck, and go back to the States. And by the way, we've red flagged you, so not only can you not enter here, you can't enter anywhere. And it was like a five-year uh, red flag on him. You're not coming into Canada. That's the way it is. Well, you can imagine. They've got all their stuff in the truck, all the things that they believe and trusted God for. Their kids are out there. They, they've resigned from their positions. What in the world are they going to do, right? Well, they just go back in their truck and go and find a place to stay and call the, the guy that was their liaison to get them in there, you know, uh, in their connect point. And he goes, oh, no, no. He said, this, is, this can't be right. He said, dude, they told us not to come back. They would arrest us. We can't go back again. He goes, no, no, we're, we'll get a lawyer involved. We're going to see what we're going to do. Well, a week later, all this paperwork is put back together, and the guy says, I'm going to go with you this time, and we're going to see we can work this process a little better. And he says to him, he says, now, uh, don't say anything. Just be quiet and let me do all the talking. He said, all right. And so they walk in, and they walk up to the area where the guy comes to the deal and, and asks you what you're there for, so to, you know how that works. And they hand him the paperwork. The guy looks at them, has a little smile on his face, looks at their paperwork, and says, I'll be right back. He goes into a, to a back office. I, they said they didn't really know what he was doing back there. He comes back. Everything is in order. Says, welcome to Canada. Take your truck on through. Here's your paperwork. Here's your pass. Here's what you need to have. And, and the guy goes, now, I was told not to say anything, but I'm, I'm just having a problem with that right now. And so he said, we started to walk out. He said, I just couldn't stand it. And I, I turned back around and said, can you explain to me why today and not last week? And the guy said, well, excuse me? And uh, he said, well, can you tell me why we're able to get in today and we couldn't last week? And the guy just smiled. And he said, well, he said, I can just tell you this, that I don't work here. This is not my, my place of work. I work an hour and 45 minutes from here. And I've never been sent here to relieve workers. He said, it's too far away. But he said, today of all days, I, I really questioned someone's, it had to be a mistake somewhere along the way, why in the world they would send me an hour and 45 minutes away to do a shift when there was obviously lots of people closer than I was. But when you walked up, I knew why I was here. He said, my dad's been a church starter here in Canada for a long time.
God protected them. They had to wait a week, but God protected them. God's anointed are protected by God. They sometimes get the flu. But He protects them. God's anointed protected. They sometimes have got to wait without information outside of a border for a week. But God's at work. And when I sat there and listened to his testimony, I said, you know, he's already explained it's really difficult to be a missionary there in Canada. But I said, but, but you've had an experience that you can never quit. And he said, yeah, we've thought about quitting a few times when it gets really hard. But, but you've got an experience that you can't quit because you'll always go back to that border and you know without a question God has you here in Canada because he sent a man an hour and 45 minutes away and he'd never been down there and there's no way you can run those numbers. God orchestrated that. And that's one of the things you have here in the story that we see with David. God is orchestrating all kinds of things around his life because his purpose is that he be the king. God is at work all around you. Give him the glory and praise he's worthy of. Amen. Lord, I pray you guide and lead us. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to what you call us to. Help us, Lord, to rejoice in all the things that we are not aware of that you have done to protect us. But Lord, help us to rejoice on those things we do know. Help us be faithful in what we know to do to fulfill your purpose in us. And thank you, Lord, for your protective power and abilities. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Ushers, come forward.